trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Let's see, my calendar says it's a Tuesday. That would mean my good friend Eric Peters is joining me today. Eric, how are you? Well, I'm good, but I'm looking for Dr. Fauci. Have uh, you seen him? <laughs> I know he was deposed recently, but it was it was a very curious thing in that no reporters, no transcript has been released. So basically the science spoke and nobody was there to listen. <laughs> yeah, he rides off into the sunset. And I guess the question that I have, uh, leaving aside the question of whether he'll ever be held accountable for the myriad crimes that he's committed, is who's going to replace him? And that kind of worries me. Yeah, looking at some of the appointees that the Biden administration has put forth, and um, what's Rachel Levine, who a man dressed as a woman, um, the the, the skirt-wearing guy in charge of nuclear waste who just stole some lady's bag at the airport. She got it, yeah, and got arrested. You know, maybe it'll be somebody who identifies as a doctor this time. Ooh, ooh. But you, you do raise a good point. What if it is somebody who's more palatable than Fauci? Not that that would be a very high bar to clear. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Now, on the other hand, I'm more optimistic about it because there is a blind spot that seems to characterize these rabid leftists, and that is that they just don't see how unappealing they are on a purely personal level. Uh, if they did see it, they wouldn't have put forward people like Joe Biden uh, to lead their efforts. So it's likely that whoever ends up filling the, the, the big shoes of Dr. Fauci is going to be somebody even more Uh, unpleasant than he was, which will in a way be good because, you know, people do react on a visceral level to personally unappealing people. It's why Hillary, thank God, lost the 2016 election. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully our eyes are open enough to to perceive this. Now, you had a great article um, that that kind of referenced the the Hunger Games, and I I hate to say it, but the parallels between our existence right now and the Hunger Games story are, are becoming, well, more than just a little coincidental. Yeah, they really are, and there's something broader there as well. I'm sure you know about, and some of the people listening may, may know about, uh, Operation Mockingbird, which was uh, revealed back in the 70s when it was found out that uh, the intelligence apparatus, the CIA, was working very closely with the media, with Hollywood, uh, and various other outlets to control the narrative, to manipulate people's thoughts uh, by presenting them entertainment and so-called news that really wasn't. Um, and that kind of got me to thinking about The Hunger Games, uh, which uh, has a secondary title of Mocking Jay Part 1. You know, that's very interesting because, you know, they let us know. They Ooh. let us peek behind the curtain to see a little bit about what they're talking about. And then I used that to get into um, covering a story about something that's going on in the U.K. And that's relevant to us because a lot of time what starts in Europe ends up moseying across the water to here, usually to California, and then it spreads to the rest of the country. Well, what they're doing in, um, in, a, in a city in England is dividing up the areas surrounding the central core, the capital city in Pan Am, uh, you know, into provinces. And each province is effectively going to be walled off from the surrounding provinces to cars, limiting the ability of people to go freely from one place to another, very much like the fictitious Pan Am. Uh, Pan Am. And, and the, the, the graphic that was produced by the people behind this literally is color-coded, also like the fictitious Pan Am map. And I just couldn't help be struck by 
this weird coincidence that it seems to be uh, a real-life Hunger Games manifesting over there. And the object, of course, in both cases was to corral and control the population to prevent movement uh, for the sake of the elites who, of course, live in the glittering capital city where everybody's well-fed. Boy, I, you know, I first read The Hunger Games, I don't know, probably 10, maybe 12 years ago, and thought it was a pretty decent story. You know, I thought, yeah, it's dystopian, which that makes for some some pretty good fiction. But the, I don't know, some of the shadows of, of what it hinted at, you know, including, you know, the entertainment to, through bloodlust and the way the media is, is manipulated. And uh, as you pointed out, the difference between the centralized capital city and everybody else sure seems to be uh, ringing true. It's, I, I'm, I'm wanting to know a little bit more about the author just because I think she was very uh, prescient in, in writing this. Mm-hmm. Now, some of this, of course, can be attributed to simply having the ability to look at current events and extrapolate from them. Uh, you, know, you, can, you, you can do that if you're a, a pretty bright person and, and a creative person. It's not that difficult to do. But at the same time, uh, I think there's also an element of the public's consciousness being guided uh, as in the case of this Operation Mockingbird stuff, where people are, are habituated to, to seeing things a certain way, conditioned to seeing things a certain way, so that, in effect, a kind of kinetic um, motion is, is created that results in a state accomplished. People get used to this. They see it on TV. They hear it in the news. They think it's normal. And so when it becomes reality, they're, they're pretty much ready to accept that as being normal. Wow. I'll tell you who who does a really good job of connecting the dots, or at least has done this in the past, uh, between the Hunger Games and and current events is Jim Quinn over at the Burning Platform, and I think you, mm-hmm. I think yep. I think that's that's one of the one of your favorite websites you link to, you know, on on your own website. Yeah, well, and they link back to me too. They they often pick up my articles, so uh, it's a mutual admiration society, and I'm happy to be a part of it. And you know, there is a lot to this. And people who are listening out there who have never heard about Operation Mockingbird might want to look into it. This isn't, you know, as they, as they routinely use to denigrate us, a conspiracy theory. It's a fact. This is what they have been doing, and they've been doing it for generations, and they've just amped it up considerably over the course of probably the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Well, you look at, uh, at what was, was likely one of the greatest uh, examples of manipulation of public opinion prior to the 2020 election, and that was suppression of the story about Hunter Biden's laptop, which contained, sure. so, you know, allegedly contained some, some pretty incriminating evidence about the big guy, his dad, and his uh, dealings with foreign nations. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's an excellent example. And, uh, you know, there are many others that you can point to where, uh, whether by omission or, or manipulation, they are very deliberately, it's not, you know, an honest mistake, they're very deliberately attempting to manipulate people. And they've been quite successful uh, doing it. You know, one of the best examples you and I have talked about many times is the way they framed this whole vaccine business to get people to take this, these drugs. I, you know, I like to use the word drugs because that's what they are. They're not vaccines, but they were presented as such to people. Uh, people were led to believe that if they took these drugs, they would be immunized, which is what used to characterize, which used to define what a vaccine was. And so they did. And then after the fact, once it was too late, they've got the stuff in their bodies. Then they're told, no, it's not really a vaccine. So they don't say that. They just say it helps protect. Mm-hmm. They no longer say, uh, you know, if you take this, you won't get and you cannot spread the virus, which proves that it's not a vaccine. It's just some drug, whatever whatever kind of drug it is. That's a separate conversation. You know, in, in keeping with the, uh, the hunger theme or the Hunger Games theme, too, I don't know if you saw the story where in uh, the Netherlands, they are going to forcefully shut down 3,000 farms 
Yep. And it, you know, to, to, to save the climate, you know, to, to protect uh, emissions, you know, from, from farming. And they're telling those farmers, look, you're, we will pay you well over market value, but basically it's compulsory. It, you won't get a better offer. And if you resist, you will face government force. Sure, of course. And, uh, you know, the thing that's never followed up whenever anything like this occurs uh, is that there is, is the question, well, okay, are the people who are behind this, who are passing these edicts and imposing them, they're not the ones that aren't going to be going hungry, are they? Right. They're not the ones who are going to have to worry about where the food is coming from because they'll always have plenty of food, just like in the capital city of Pan Am. Uh, it's the average people who aren't going to have it. Now, these farmers, yeah, they're going to get the quote-unquote fair price for their property. It's, they're being eminent domained effectively, you know, which takes no account of the value of it to themselves. Not to mention, once the government check bounces or uh, it's no longer capable of buying anything, what then? You know, they have been deprived of their livelihood. They've been deprived of their ability to feed themselves. Uh, and in fact, they've been, they've been reduced to a state of utter dependency upon the government. And that's, you know, that's, what is that? That's the very definition of, of feudalism or serfdom uh, in our time without the Lord in the manor. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, I, I'm a guy who enjoys his meals. Obviously, my waistline will attest to that. But I worry when I hear about farms being shut down simply because there are already food shortages in various places in the, on the planet. Yep. And, and for the Dutch to be shutting down 3,000 farms, where's the food going to come from? And, and what about the emissions sure. of getting food from wherever else it's supposed to come from, you know, to the people there in the Netherlands? It's not supposed to come from. It's of a piece with the uh, imposition of energy scarcity. Uh, you know, of making it difficult, if not impossible, to get diesel fuel, uh, to get gasoline, making it so expensive that people can't afford it, meaning people, meaning you and me, ordinary people, um, the, the, the ruling class, the people who live in the capital city per Pan Am, they are not going to have any difficulty at all finding fuel to power their vehicles, their airplanes, their yachts. Uh, they're going to have plenty of warmth inside their palatial mansions, just like in Pan Am in the capital city. It's us, it's you and me who are expected to freeze, shiver, and starve. And eat bugs. And eat bugs, too. That's exactly right. I, the Washington Post had an article the other day that was trying to groom kids in particular mm. to the, uh, the wonders of, of eating crickets, cricket powder, uh, earthworms, mealworms, all that kind of stuff. Mm-mm, good. Wow. Uh, you know, I had a pet lizard as a kid, and he really enjoyed mealworms, but... I don't know. That's crossing a line for me. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. There's a link in the show notes. It'll take you right to his website. Stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. And uh, Eric, you've had some just uh, home runs lately. Uh, let's, let's talk about voting harder. I understand uh, <laughs> certification of some elections has taken place. And boy, it, yeah. sure, it sure calmed everybody's concerns about whether elections were on the up and up. Not. Yeah, boy, uh, you think when uh, the election uh, certifiers are forced to say I under threat of felony arrest if they don't. Yeah, and that this legitimately happened in Mojave County, Arizona. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, I have this conversation often with a a good friend of mine. I've known him since we were kids. Uh, He's a conservative Republican and uh, this whole thing about voting harder. You know, next time we'll do better. 
Well, you don't do better when uh, the people that you're voting against control the rules of the game. That's really fundamentally the problem here, I think. And uh, it's highlighted in Arizona. You know, you've got uh, sketchy, uh, sketchy, sketchy processes for identifying voters and for counting them. And until that's rectified, I don't see that there's any more point to voting than there is for Charlie Brown continuing to try to kick the football and hoping that Lucy's not going to pull it away at the last second. Right. No, I, I hear you. And, and you know, it, I, I look at the particularly Arizona with the uh, Kerry Lake, Katie Hobbs race. You know, it, it seemed like Katie Hobbs really just kind of laid back. Oh, I don't need to debate. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. What did she know? I mean, after all, she was the one sure. responsible for running the election, right? Yeah, that question, you know, that is such a, 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 an incandescently obvious question that was, of course, not covered at all by the, the defunct derelict uh, journalistic establishment, uh, meaning that, you know, here you have uh, a, an electric election contest for governor, and one of the two candidates just happens to be the state official that is in charge of supervising and monitoring the process of the election. Oh, there's, there's no problem there. Uh, and clearly, uh, she, Hobbs, uh, knew something uh, was up, else why would she, in a tight race, decline to even uh, debate her opponent? You know, obviously, I think the suggestion is there that she knew she didn't have to because, after all, she controlled how the vote was going to go. Uh, what I'm happy about is that there seems to be a, an upswelling of absolute outrage about it because it seems to have been so egregiously, obviously fixed that people have had enough of it, and they may not take it. They may not stand for it. And uh, this could potentially really trigger a wider and broader movement, and I hope that it does. No, I hope so, too. I, I saw a meme last week that kind of made me laugh, but it, but there was a ring of truth to it. And it said it doesn't take, you know, two weeks to count the votes. It takes two weeks, two weeks to fix the votes. <laughs> Excellent. Absolutely. So what Absolutely. Else? You know, at the You know, we've talked about this before, but you and I can't get a beer. You know, we're middle-aged guys, and we go to the supermarket and buy a six-pack of beer. We're expected to produce ID, right? Yep. And, and, you know, this idea that that it's somehow an onerous, uh, insurmountable barrier to exercising the franchise to get uh, an ID and present it on Election Day in person is preposterous. It's ludicrous. No fair-minded person uh, can say that with a straight face. The only people who are saying it are the people who want to fix the election. And states that made it harder to cheat or harder to manipulate election results. Well, yep. not surprisingly, uh, the, the left didn't do quite as well there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is potentially catastrophic in terms of the, uh, the country. You know, if you have any patriotism, any love for this country, you would want these reforms to happen because as things stand, whether you're on the left or the right, the elections now are viewed, and rightly so, as suspect, if not illegitimate. That's a terrible thing. You know, you, you know, it's one thing to lose an election, honestly. Hey, my guy didn't win. He, wasn't, he didn't run an effective campaign. The other, guy, the other guy ran a better campaign. He won. That stinks, but we'll just do better next time. That's fine. You can have a, a functioning, viable society on that basis. You can't when half, the, half of the electorate believes with reason that the whole thing was a fraud and that their candidate should have won but was denied it uh, because of cheating, because the fix was in. If you live in that kind of a country, you're living in a banana republic. Here, here. Let's let's talk about the latest crisis. I know there's always something, and I thought climate was was the latest crisis, but now um, I, I read on EricPetersAutos.com there is there's another crisis. What, what's this one? There's always a new crisis, isn't there? Isn't that interesting? One follows the other. Uh, well, the the new crisis, of course, 
uh, and believe it or not, has to do with tire emissions, if you can imagine such a thing, and also brake emissions. The EU, the European Union, is about to impose new regulations on tire emissions. The claim is uh, that as tires wear, they emit compounds that result in uh, uh, problems for public health. The usual thing, which is never substantiated, and you know, I harp on this a lot, every time one of these regulatory bodies comes out and says that X, Y, and Z needs to be done, and these costs must be borne, it is not required of them to produce evidence rather than hearsay and say so, that in fact there actually is a crisis. They're just able to get away with saying, oh, we've got to do this because, well, that's what they're doing now. So the cost of tires is going to go up, the cost of brake pads is going to go up, and we're all going to get to pay it because of this. Unbelievable. I mean, and then the timing couldn't be better, right? Because I'm in the market for tires. Sure. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> well, you notice this is a, a common thread here uh, is that they are systematically attempting to make owning and driving a car more expensive and more onerous. And why would they want to do that? Well, once again, call up Pan Am. They didn't have cars out in the provinces in Pan Am. They don't want us driving. They're really explicit about it. They want us living in uh, an urban core where we can only go as far as our feet or our bicycle can take us. Well, and and, and speaking of control, uh, look at the uh, central bank digital currency that uh, is yeah. in the process of being prepped for rollout uh, presumably sometime next year. Yeah, that has got to be resisted with absolutely every fiber of our being because if they succeed in imposing that, that's it. It's game over. They will have the ability uh, to uh, to do anything they like to us because they'll have a sword of Damocles hanging over our head, uh, meaning that you know they can they can at the at the throwing of a switch if they wish to, they can cut off your ability to buy, to spend, to access your money, to use your money. Uh, and anybody who cares the least bit about any kind of autonomy and individuality and liberty, freedom to choose, should be terrified by this prospect. Oh, I, I agree. It's And yet, it, it's very quiet. You know, this is another one of those curious cases where the press seems to have no interest. Why, well, there's nothing to see there. Sure. You know, they're more interested sure. in, you know, are, are your children being sufficiently uh, sensitive towards uh, less included communities? You know, here's a sure. drag queen. Let it's them come read to them. Either, that they... It's not accidental that they have been habituating the populace to this cashless idea for some time. And particularly, remember during the height of Ronomania when a lot of businesses would not accept dirty, dirty, dirty cash? Oh, yeah. You know, that's part of it. It's part of this programming. And they've been very, very effective with the kids, with, you know, the younger generation, because they're used to this digitized existence. And they like being able to just wave their cell phone at a kiosk and, and have the, the, the debit applied to their account. Um, but I think that they, they're being very naive and they don't understand the, the degree of control over their lives that this will mean if it becomes a fact. So we've, we've only got about a minute and a half left here, but let's, let's talk about some things we could be doing to position ourselves so that we don't have to be part of the system. Yeah. Well, to the, the extent that you can, and I think particularly in, in, in view of this whole uh, digital currency thing, to have as many physical, tangible assets underneath, under your own control and in your hand as possible is smart. The ability to live, if necessary, uh, to survive and get through this without having to operate within the confines of that system. So, you know, doing things like raising your own food to the extent that you can and establishing networks that will enable you, if necessary, to barter a skill or service that you have uh, for something that you need from somebody else without having to go through this, this digitized system that they've got in mind for us. Yeah, I, you know, I find that uh, more and more of my waking hours are occupied with 
planning and executing plans for how to keep myself out of the clutches of those who seem determined to control me no matter what. Yep. Yeah, if that's uh, if we've learned a lesson over the past three years, I think it is the the absolute imperative uh, that we do precisely that. Otherwise, we will find ourselves at their mercy when they decide to amp things up again. Here, here, Eric. Thanks for being vigilant. Thanks for being a voice of reason out there and uh, and keeping an eye on the things that uh, that you're watching. Uh, thanks again for being my guest too. I look forward to talking with you next week. Oh, likewise. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having me on. Again, that's Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Check out the link I provide in my show notes. And take the time to read his articles. Read the comments, too. You'll find some great insights there as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. You have heard me mention MonticelloCollege.org each day that I do this program. And the reason I do that is because they are one of our sponsors. I'm very happy to welcome the president of Monticello College and its founder, Dr. Shannon Brooks, to the program. Shannon, it's been a little while, but it's great to catch up with you once again. Yeah, Brian, how you doing? That's, that's all great. It's all well, good. I'm just watching everything unfold perfectly and calmly, just like we knew it would, with no challenges whatsoever. And life <laughs> is getting easier and less expensive by the day. Well, right. well, maybe exactly. maybe not, but <laughs> no, it's, well, cha- it's always, you, you can always keep hoping, right? It's challenging times, but um, I'm very grateful to to have had you as a friend and a mentor, and and we've had some heads up on the fact that challenging times were coming. So the bigger question now is, so what do we do about it? You know, we're sitting around and crying is is obviously not going to work. So um, let's let's all get out of bed, put our pants on and go to work and see what we can do. And you, you have been talking, I know in recent weeks and months about um, the new economy. And for those who aren't familiar with it, do uh, you want to just kind of give us the, the thumbnail sketch of when we talk about a new economy, what exactly are we talking about? Yeah. So um, l- let me do that by kind of detailing very thumbnail where we are now and, and what our options are in the future. So right now, um, we have a very, it's it's unfolding very quickly. Uh, the beginning started in March of 2022 with uh, Executive Order 14067. This is the creation or the, the authorization of investigating into the concept of central bank digital currencies. This is not uh, a, a new way of doing digital. This is actually replacing the, the, the dollar bills that we have in the, the coinage we have with a uh, a, a, a blockchain-like technology money, currency. That's what we're going to be replacing what we have now with, and that's coming very quickly. That was signed in March of, of this year, and it's been staying right on track with all the, the things that they're trying to do, and they have legislation coming forward very soon. The Federal Reserve announced um, in August of this year that May of next year, 2023, they're going to unfold what's called the Fed Now. It's a it's a, it's a new platform for uh, upon which this new currency will operate. They're already doing tests um, uh, across the country in different areas right now. There's about 20 countries that are using this central bank digital currency already. This is a new a, a new thing that's coming. And, and I, I know that it's going to be sold to us as, look how convenient this is. No more worrying about, look how everything is just right there on a card. It's so, it's so simple. 
But there are some downfalls to this, and and this has been very heavy on my mind. So I'm grateful that we're having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things I find when I go out, I've been speaking on this topic for about a year now uh, on, on the economy and what we have and, and what's coming. And what I find is that most people don't really actually know what the economy is, what it does, how it impacts their lives. And so we go through in this lecture that I do, um, um, uh, you know, kind of walking people through this. But probably the, the biggest way to tell what the economy is, how it's impacting us, what, what the future holds is um, – one way of analyzing the economy is what we call debt to GDP, gross domestic product. And if there's tons of information out there, but basically what we show is that the debt to GDP um, is increasing constantly. When you get past about 80% debt to GDP, you've got problems. We're somewhere around uh, 120% debt to GDP right now. So, so we're in big trouble. And I, I just I like to get people to understand where we're at and where this is going. Another way to look at this, Brian, of uh, uh, monitoring the economy and where we are is you take the, the total debt owed and then you divide it by the number of people in society. That's every man, woman, and child. In the 1970s, um, if you did that, the amount that each person, every man, woman, or child would have to pay to pay off the national debt was just over $6,000. In 2008, it was almost 20000 14, it was almost 40000 And according to uh, um, uh, the Heritage Organization, a bunch of other places, uh, it's predicted to hit about uh, $90,000 per every man, woman, and child by 2020. 30. And then I point out uh, very quickly that we've already surpassed that. We're way wow. beyond 90,000 right now. We're about 10 years ahead of that projected schedule. And so that leads us to this concept of, wow, we, we have, we, we have this, this major debt going on. What's driving it? Well, there's two things driving it. One is just regular government debt, which is right now somewhere around, um, 31 trillion dollars and you hear about this in news on a, on a regular basis what you don't hear about are the unfunded obligations that's the second driver to this massive debt which is somewhere uh, over over 100 trillion right now so we're somewhere around 140 trillion dollars that we owe and it's it's crazy when you look at this um the average person has no concept of what a trillion dollars is so um let me break it down for you a million seconds is 12 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. Now look at that gap, 12 days, wow. 30 years. What do you think the gap is between a billion and a trillion? It's sick. It's 32,000 years. To, for a trillion seconds to pass, it's 32,000 years. That's longer than this country has existed. That's longer than Western Civ has existed. We, my, my kids actually asked me, hey dad, how long would it take to spend a trillion dollars if you did a million dollars every day? It's 2,739 years to spend $1 trillion, and we're in debt over $140 trillion right now. Wow. So, so that's, that's our, our first possible future economic future. If we don't change anything we're doing right now, we have increasing debt constantly. In fact, it's increased uh, several trillion dollars since I started giving this lecture in January of this year. Um, that's what we have. And then we have Fed now to look forward to. We have this central um, bank digital currency to look forward to. That's where we're going. Now, a lot of people say, wow, when you have a big problem, you got to think outside the box. And what we're suggesting is, no, you got to get rid of the box altogether. 
you, you, you have to think differently. We can't use the same broken system in different ways and expect di different results. And that's where the new economy comes in, um, uh, showing that there's an alternative to, to all this. Wow. I know that uh, people, people are feeling the pain. I mean, my wife and I were just having this conversation actually, you know, over the weekend. And it's, in, in many ways, things look pretty normal, at least, you know, fairly comfortable. But um, we feel the financial strain. And, and both of us are working hard. In fact, we're working harder than ever before. Um, you know, in, in, in some ways, we're, 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 we're earning more than we've ever earned before. But it doesn't seem to go as far. And I know there are a lot of people who are actually, they've, they've long been having this sense of treading in deep water. And so it, it's not like this is something that, that everybody can ignore indefinitely. But you've just laid out a situation that's definitely untenable. Talk to me about uh, who right. is promoting this uh, Fed now. What, uh, what is the criteria or at least the, what's the justification they're giving for, for why this is, this is going to be offered to us, I, I assume, probably sometime in the coming year? Yeah, yeah. So Fed now is actually being um, promoted and put out by the Federal Reserve Bank. Now they're working with Biden's administration through these executive orders, but they're following through. But it's it's even crazier. They're suggesting in the executive order that they want to do research on and have uh, accomplished that at this point of creating not only a central bank uh, digital currency for the U.S., but a, a currency that is is compatible with other nations and other central banks around the world, essentially a global currency. Mm. This is this currency is crazy because it's programmable. For example, they want to do a stimulus. Uh, for, first of all, banking as we know it goes away because you, Becca, or um, I have a student, Becca, your wife, Becky, um, everybody has their own account with the Federal Reserve Bank directly. And if they want to do a stimulus check, they just drop a bunch of money in your account, but they tell you you've got 30 days or that money goes away because they can program that currency. This has horrible, horrible, horrible surveillance um, state uh, implications. And of course, you know, from studying history, if they can, they, you know, they will. Right. So um, that, that, that's a big deal. And people are getting kind of concerned as they learn about this. How do I... You know, how do I go up against this? Well, that's what the new that's what the new economy is about. And um, I, I don't know where your break is, but Brian, that we'll have to take here. But um, uh, the next thing for me to cover here is to go into the new economy, some principles that apply to that and then sort of lay that out for you real quick. OK, we're about 30 seconds out from the break, but this is a good time to, to tap the brakes here. Again, we're talking with Dr. Shannon Brooks from Monticello College, MonticelloCollege.org is where you can go. I actually have a link in the show notes that you can check out. But uh, this is a topic, if it seems like, wow, these guys are out there in the weeds, you know, they're talking about, you know, this this monetary stuff and central banking. Yeah, there was a time it seemed far-fetched, but uh, look at what happened over the last three years and then try to tell yourself, oh, this could never come to pass. Think of all the things that did come to pass that we never thought we would find ourselves living under or struggling with or surrendering for that matter. Maybe this is a good one to pay attention to. We'll be back with Dr. Shannon Brooks, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. My guest is Dr. Shannon Brooks with MonticelloCollege.org. We are talking about the new economy. And in the last segment, uh, Shannon, you laid out the, the problem ahead of us. This is a formidable problem. But uh, there, there is a solution, and this is something you've actually not only been, uh, you know, uh, thinking about and scratching your head over, you've actually been, been doing some pretty serious work on this over the years. Talk to me about the new economy. What does that mean? So, yeah, to, to get into that, we have to have some, some uh, foundation laid first, and we have some principles. So the, the new economy, to understand it fully, you have to, first of all, understand the difference between standard of living and quality of life. We tend to say that those are, you know, connected at the hip, that as your standard of living goes up, your quality of life goes up. Everybody knows that's not true. And so uh, that's the first thing we have to understand is, is the relationship between those two. Lots of rich people, unhappy. Lots of what we would call poor or middle-class people, very happy. So there's no relationship between quality of life and standard of living in terms of one goes up, the other goes up. Um, you, you, you can deal with those separately and you have to, because what we're going to suggest is, especially for our college students, is that they voluntarily start out at a much lower standard of living than what they are, than what their grandparents are living. That's the problem. They're trying to live that, that, qual- that standard of living when they haven't paid the price yet. And so if they can start out much lower, they're much better off. Um, the second principle is the concept, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> of personal financial autonomy. You know, what, what does that mean exactly? How much debt are you servicing? Um, you know, are you dependent? Are you independent? Do you work for somebody? Or are you, you self-employed? All these different things. Do you have passive and re- renewable uh, re- income sources? Those are all things that have to be ta- have to be talked about and, and understood. The, no- the next concept is anti-fragile. Anti-fragile is the idea of, uh, the, you know, there are two kinds of problems that people deal with. Uh, one are problems that they can solve and two are problems that they can't solve, but they can insulate themselves from the negative effects of those problems. Think of a farmer in a, in a, in a drought cycle. If he knows that drought's coming, he can save, save, save all through the years leading up to it. Then he can make his way through that, that drought because he's got the surplus. He can insulate himself from the negative effects of the drought and then come out on the other end having, you know, enough food to eat and seed to, to grow for the next, uh, you know, wet cycle. Anti-fragile is a huge thing. Most of us don't think two seconds about put potential, uh, you know, uh, crisis situations, let alone a, a long-term downturn in the economy. We're not thinking about that. We're living, you know, it's very common to get a, a mortgage in your house to the full extent that you can borrow. We can barely cover those payments. You have any fluctuation whatsoever in income, you just lost your mortgage. That's not, that. that's being very fragile, not anti-fragile. And then the last concept that we like to talk about, and this is huge, and that is the idea of means of production. You are, um, in, in fact, a couple of these pr- principles are very interesting. You are as free as you are independent of goods and services produced by others. Now, that doesn't mean stop going to Costco. What that means is understand that if you if there's things you want or need and you don't know how to produce them, you, you don't have your own supply chain set up, Costco is your only source, you are dependent on Costco. If Costco no longer has that thing or Costco triples the price, you're screwed. You, you have to go with them or, 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 or go without it. And most of us are not going to go without if we can avoid it. So the idea of means of production 
it has always been the the foundation of economic independence. The more you can secure these things that you need for yourself, the more independent you are. Oh, I love it. I love it. And it, it, it sounds scary, but we have to understand that we're, we're not playing by the same rules that most of us grew up with. I know you were actually one of the people who introduced me to uh, fourth turning methodology in terms of studying history through, through the cyclical nature of how it unfolds. And there have been times where uh, we have seen severe economic downturns and other challenges that, that tend to come along with these turnings. They don't last forever, but one of the key lessons I took away was you can't play by the same rules as as you had previously. So the world that you and I grew up in was it was in many ways, you know, pretty stable. We're not living in that world now. We have to adapt because it's not going to change, you know, if, if we try to, to do it by the old rules. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And the very last here is, is let me lay out the, the new economy concept. There's five five elements or five points of this. First of all, you got to have a library education, a library education uh, and without debt, you you cannot get, you cannot have this, you cannot accrue debt while you're getting this education. Library education is a combination of the liberal arts, the arts that make us free, reading, writing, uh, the ability to engage in contract, own property, hold your own in court, hold your own in in a legislature. Those kinds of skills, uh, call those the liberal arts, combined with the manual arts, You've got to be able to to build your own home. You've got to be able to create energy, produce your own food, those those kinds of things. That's how you're able to stay independent no matter what happens in society. Remember, in in ancient times, if you didn't have deliberate, you either owned property or you were property, right? Because you didn't have the liberal arts. Nothing's changed. We've got all sophisticated, but when things start to get tough, we're going to go right back to these concepts, right? So library education, you have to have the the, the new economy teaches you how to have a mortgage-free, debt-free home. It shows you how to create all the food you need to eat debt-free. It shows you how to have all the fuel you need to run your home debt-free. And it shows you how to create an independent family business. I know we don't have much time, Brian, but those are the five elements of this new economy. These young people that I have on campus are, especially guys, they are gravitating to this because they see options. Prior to that, it was go do a career like everybody else, you know, go get into debt like everybody else. They don't want that. They just don't know what else to do. Now they see some options and they are talking about this uh, at hyperspeed. They love it. So the advice you're giving here is it's it's not just for young people, but young people especially would be wise to to seize on this because they're going to be the ones doing a lot of the heavy lifting as the fourth turning that we're in the midst of plays out. And in fact, they're going to have a very key role to play in whatever comes next. And do you think they'd want to have some pretty solid footing to be standing on when that takes place? Well, yes, not, not only that, um, uh, of course, everything you just said, that's all true. These kids are very liberty-minded. They they don't want to have Big Brother controlling them. And this gives them an option of not having to be in that position, at, at, at least for the most part. If you can decrease your monthly outgo by, by 80%, why wouldn't you? If you can start out at a lower standard of living, Brian, when you graduate from college and you start out, if you can go into life, married, single, whatever, at a 
or voluntarily lower standard of living, within 10 years, you're going to be at the same same standard of living as your peers, but you're going to be doing it for 80% less. That is a game changer. That is huge. That's also kind of a tough sell because we we live in a culture where gratification is supposed to take, you know, as long as it takes for Uber Eats to bring my meal to me, you know, so I can, can have something yeah. yummy to eat. Um, you know, we're, we're not real good at, at learning how to control ourselves, control our desires, and put off, you know, the comforts and the things that uh, that we want right now, you know, for, for a better time. And I, I'm not sure, how exactly would you recommend we go about shifting, you know, that that way of approaching life? Well, you know, here's what I'm finding with young people. They're very willing to do that as long as they know there's an option. They'll go the way mom and dad and grandma and grandpa are saying if there's no other option. But when they see options, I got kids who are gaga over compost, who are loving the idea of living in temporary housing while they over time build their permanent house debt free. They love these concepts. They never heard of them before, but they love them. Maybe it's not for all young people. Maybe it's not for all people, but I'm just, our whole mission is to get this out so people know there are options if you choose to go that route. Absolutely. We've got about one minute left here. Let's again, just kind of summarize for people who who need to understand the nature of the program. What are some of the key things they're going to want to watch for, especially in this next year or so? Yeah. Watch for this Fed now. You're going to start hearing about this all over the place. You can go on the Federal Reserve website right now and see the press release. Um, this is going to be a big deal. It's going to be sold as the new way, as the, the best way. Bitcoin has you know, c- kind of crashed here and there. They're going to say this is the solution to that. The problem is that um, you're going to have everything you spend is going to be monitored. Every dime you spend is going to be monitored. Do you want that? Do you want to live in that culture uh, and that, that lifestyle? If you don't, there are options. Come talk to us. Okay. Again, we're talking with Dr. Shannon Brooks from MonticelloCollege.org. Uh, Shannon, I know it's 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 winter now, and you're you're above the seven thousand foot mark in elevation. But uh, people who want to come out and visit the campus, are there is there a good time of year for them to come and see for themselves what you are accomplishing there? Absolutely. Just just reach out to us. Go to the website. Give us a call. Give us an email, and we'll set something up. You bet. Okay. And that is, again, Dr. Shannon Brooks from MonticelloCollege.org. Click on the notes or the link in my show notes. There's a lot to learn and there's a short time to do it, so we better get after this quickly. This is The Brian Hyde Show.